Here we go. It's time to shift our schools. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools podcast. Shifting Our Schools is created and produced by Jeff Udick and David Carpenter. Shifting Our Schools podcast is released under a Creative Commons 3.0 share like license. In other words, if you like what you hear, go ahead and use it. It's the record button. Yeah, okay, yeah. got it. It's <laughs> always so nice to have a comedian in the room. Let me tell you. <laughs> okay. All right, well, I think we're live, and I think everything's looking good. So are you ready to get started, David? Let's do it. All right. Welcome to another Shifting Our Schools podcast. We're live today from uh, Shanghai. I had to fly up four and a half hours from Bangkok to be here with our guest tonight in his living room with a bottle of nice Wolf Blast. Uh, what are we drinking? Sa- Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh-huh. Here in the living room of Andy Torres, uh, Deputy Superintendent of Shanghai American School. And joining us on Skype, as usual, is David Carpenter. And how are you tonight, David? Hello, gentlemen. I'm here a little drier than you guys, but maybe I'll have to run out to the fridge in a moment. Yeah, <laughs> you might have to. So how's the weather in uh, Taiwan? It's been it's been wonderful, just as you all were saying how nice it is there. It's been fantastic, and it's you kind of forget what a normal tropical uh, spring can be like. And um, I'm just feeling – we're feeling very lucky here. The skies are very clear. So good weather. Yeah, I feel like we almost have to start every podcast with a weather report just because we live in places that most people don't. So we have to just tell them that there is weather and what the weather is like in other parts of the world. That's the way it is. (laughs) All right, so why don't you go ahead, uh, David, and maybe um, just run us through what our essential question is tonight. We'll get into a little conversation here for 40 minutes or so. Excellent, excellent. Well, our essential question is how to measure how shifted your school is. So that's all predicated on that your school is is working at being shifted. And we've spent a lot of podcasts talking about how to get there. And as I listen to some uh, different podcasts, I was listening to Ben Gray's the other day. They do a very similar format that you put the question out there and often you don't answer it. But that's the kind of classroom that we want, where it's all around questions and collaboration. So we're very lucky uh, tonight to have Andy here, who's been at Shanghai for a while and a very shifted educator, to help share his thoughts uh, about that if you're working towards being a shifted school, how can you go in and and have some standards and some some measurement to say, here here's where we are and here's where we were, and, and we're making some some progress. And I think that's perfect because uh, congratulations to Andy and the rest of Shanghai American School. They've just they've just passed their one to one initiative and will be going one to one as a Mac school next year. So I think this is a great time to just talk about what what's kind of the how did you go through that process to kind of figure out when do you know as a school the time is right to go one to one? Where does that that pressure come from, or how do you know that as an administrator? How do you find that that timing? Or is the timing just now? Like it's 2009, the timing's now, you have to do it. Yeah, it's, um, I, you know, I, I've been asked this question several times in the last several months about why we know that the time is right now. And, you know, I hate to say this, and I know many people out there who are the education, educators around the universities and the colleges looking for the uh, quantitative value that it, that you know you know we have to you know mark a bunch of check boxes off on a list you know are we ready or is a school ready and uh, you know it's not about that it's really about um, measuring the uh, initiatives that your teachers are taking on and in an anecdotal way um, 
qualitatively measuring and analyzing the uh, units that the teachers are taking on, the number of units, if you want, you could go with that. You can dig into your, your maps and your curriculum and really understand what the teachers are studying and, and how they're using the tools. But, you know, at our school, ultimately it came down to setting the stage for unit development around the use of specific technology tools, letting that spread through your organization from top to bottom, and noticing, ultimately, that everybody's doing it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's about, you know, the ultimate kind of gut check. Mm-hmm. Here, it, here my school is, and if you look at it, look at from top to bottom, most everyone in the organization, minus one, two, or three, have done at least two or three units within an academic year, and and don't measure yourself on the two or three, mm-hmm. but ultimately a few units within an academic year that can be shown to be using Web 2.0 tools or right. using online tools or using um, some sort of a technology tool to, to build a unit. And the unit not necessarily is centered around the technology tool, but the technology tool brings a value-added component to that particular unit. And you know, this goes down to the, the gut level, base level of curriculum development. How are... In this case, in our case, the net standards, and different schools take on different standards, but in our case, the net standards, how are the net standards being applied to specific curriculum, and in the curriculum, how is that being applied across the board? So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of my favorite units this year has been something that uh, my partner, Amanda Ducardi, and and our sixth grade science team has been doing around, she calls it labbing out loud, and if you go, go on to our... Uh, website at SAS. You can see some of the the webs that the, the uh, units the kids have done. Which one is that? What's the website for that? Uh, I think you can get to it at teachers. What is it? Labbing out loud at wikispaces.com. L a b b i n g. Wikispaces.com. Labbing out loud. Labbing out loud. Yes. And you know, these are sixth grade kids. They're you know, and sixth graders are not going to be doing intense lab-based activities, but they're learning the basis of lab science, this basic skill stuff. But ultimately, they took that whole idea of lab science, applied their knowledge of lab science, and and they still have to do the lab reports. They still have to write and, and, and transcribe and record data, but at the same time, they had to take it to another level and then share and collaborate and communicate. Yeah. And they're, they're creating content around what would be a basic skill. And that sort of a thing, if you look across our school at, on the different campuses, you know, we're talking about between the two middle schools, almost 800 students. Yeah. You would look at the vast majority of those students having experiences using technology tools two or three times a year which would tell you that there are middle school teachers who have a comfort level at at least a basic level to apply those skills. If you don't put the technology in the hands of the kids at that point, it will never go any further. That's my opinion. Yeah, and I think that's that's I think that's a big part of it. How much of the pressure when you when you've decided to go one-to-one, how much of it as an administrator was pressure coming from teachers saying, I need more computers to do my job? You know, like you like you said, you reach that point where teachers are doing really cool things in the classroom and they're using technology. And they get to a point where the carts just don't work. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we're finding at um, ISB is we're starting to log how much time is wasted with the use of carts. Because there's at least a minimum 10-minute 10, 10 startup time, at least a minimum 10-minute shutdown time. That's 20 minutes of instructional time you've lost because there's a cart in the room rather than every kid coming in with their own laptop. And teachers are starting to, teachers are starting to make noise at ISB saying, look, we need, not only do we need more computers, but we need computers in the hands of kids so that we're not losing instruction time. 
So I, I think that's, you know, to me that that's another part of it is how much how much of it did was there a grassroots level because you had people like Amanda Ducardi and Simon May and and um, uh, Powell and you have these integrationists in place that were able to support the teachers and because the teachers were supported there's now this this feeling of we've got to do more we've got to do more and like you said either you do it at that point or it doesn't happen at all yeah well Mark Prensky says you know the ultimate barrier between true deep integration and not is putting the tools in the hands of the kids they have to have their own personalized device and I, you know, at some point or another, you just got to say yes or no to the whole right. step and then make a decision based on the educational needs of your organization, what it needs to be. And I'm, I'm, I, I, I think as an educator, we need to kind of fall back on our old trusted standards and, and, and I'm, I'm not your kind of traditionalist here, but I think it makes sense in a lot of ways to say we are a... Uh, educational organization and we need to make an educational decision about the way we were going to deliver our, deliver our content. Right. And at SAS, we went through a pretty intensive process of studying that. We, look, we established a set of criteria and established that we were going to choose a platform to deliver that on. Mm-hmm. And if you're not consistent with that, then that's it, you're going you're gonna to kill your implementation because... You're going to lose traction on, okay, right. well, let's see, uh, virus protections, software, and so on. And, you know, you're going to choose netbooks. Okay, choose netbooks and go with netbooks and then plan your implementation around netbooks. Around netbooks, right. You're going to choose MacBooks, then choose MacBook, right. MacBooks, and then plan your implementation around that. that. If you're going to plan it around a PC base, you better be very careful about how you're going to do that and what the software implementation requirements of that is. That's all a side issue, though. When it comes right down to it, it has to be around the curriculum. Around student learning. And, and the measuring of student learning. <laughs> right, yeah. But it's not something that you're going to be able to say, okay, and, and going back to David's question, the key is, well, how do you measure whether you're a shifted school or not a shifted school? You know, it, it's all anecdotal when it comes right down to it. You can do a survey across your organization and ask your teachers, well, do you use technology on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, on an hourly basis? And they will tell you. But how accurate is what that information? What does that mean? And does it mean a lot And you know, across the board? Yeah. You know, I, I, I've been quoting in some of the work that I've been doing with my community with the Stillwater, Minnesota one-to-one project. I don't know if you guys have seen that information. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you the website, Jeff, okay. and you can post it to this. But... Stillwater quotes very interesting statistics around um, student um, uh, engagement levels and what teachers feel are the the students' involvement in their learning and how much more interested they are and how much deeper they go into research and how much better writers they are. But it's all opinion-based. Ultimately, this is what this is all about. I don't spend time during my day analyzing how I use a pencil or a pen because it's part of my work. Right. It's just part of what you do. And I ultimately, during my day, don't spend time analyzing how I use my MacBook Pro either. It's a tool that I use freely, openly. But when somebody who comes into my office and who is not not used to somebody using uh, a technology tool like I do... The first thing they say is, "Wow, you're you're really you you really use this tool a lot." I mean, Andy, I mean, look at this. Right. I, I mean, at any given time, I have four applications open. I'm I'm streaming video like a mad fiend. Yeah. Uh, I may be uh, engaged in a couple uh, chats, and I have Twitter open. Right. Okay, I may be unusual in that way. <laughs> Granted, I think you're an admi- I think you're an unusual uh, administrator for sure. Some people would say whacked. I'm plugging in the computer, by the way, because we're running out of power. The snowball microphone may be draining a bit of battery. Uh, I may be a little bit different in that way, but at the same time, you know, that's how I get my work done. Yeah. Yeah, that's how you work. So, you know, again, it's all anecdotal. Yeah. We have to be able to 
describe for our communities how technology being is being used as a tool. Because in the end, you can't sell technology as a tool to increase your achievement. Especially in international school communities where you're you know, the, 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 the uh, percentile ranking is, you know, between 70 and 85th percentile. Right, yeah. We're Hello. So up anyway. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's your average? Yeah. Is the 6th, 7th, and 8th stanine? Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, in, in the States, I, you know, Jeff, you and I, I don't know, David, I don't know about you, but in the States where I used to work, we used to fight tooth and nail for 6 to 7% increase in our statewide assessment scores. And they were down in the 50th, 55th, yeah. 6th, percentile. 70th percentile. And we, I mean, we would just target specific skills to get those scores up. It, they would kill for the kind of scores we get. Yeah, yeah. David, how about your school's one-to-one, right? Oh, yes, yes. And so how do you feel? I mean, how, how does your school measure that, this shift? I mean, how, how shifted do you feel your school is? The uh, it's funny. Right before we came on, I was jotting some notes, and they're all in line with what you're saying there, Andy. It starts with the curriculum and what your outcomes are, and and if you adopt the Nets and the 21st century skills um, from the Materi report, which are pretty much the same thing, and you say how are we going to use these outcomes? Most of them skill performance based in our classes, and then we go into our curriculum and and. They really come out in our learning products. So that's really how we see how shifted we are is when our students are showing how they collaborate, showing how they're effective communicators, how they use good design. Um, That's really where it comes out. So it is very much as, Andy, you're saying again, uh, antidotal of what you see. But if you build all that into the curriculum and you've got your rubrics that are set to have these these kids perform towards uh, the the net outcomes, then you do have something that's really tangible that you can see. And then to make a real connection to when Amanda was on the show, she really helped remind us that so much of this, um, and you were just saying this, Andy, as well, is connecting to your parents and Mm -hmm. getting them, pulling them in and saying, uh, having those coffees and those conversations about, here's what we believe your kids need to be learning in our world today. And, and as I've said on several shows, I don't think you're going to get a lot of parents denying that. They're going to go, yes, that's really what we want. And then the more that you have the kids performing it, whether it be through their website or through their podcast or through an exhibition um, where parents come in to see them be effective communicators and uh, collaborators, that's really where you, you build that sense of here's the evidence Here's the skill. Here are the kids using these skills, and so that's how we do it at my school. Mm. Um, the kids are just performing all the time, and that and you and that's how you see it because it's embedded into the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Jeff, how, let's turn it back to you. How about you? Oh, um, I think we're headed there at ISB. I don't think we're there yet because because of the curriculum piece. I think ISB is still in a place where we're still struggling with what does this new uh, technology-embedded curriculum look like. Um, mm-hmm. We have officially ad- adopted the NETS and the, um, what are the library ones? The AASL, I think mm-hmm, they are. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit earlier this year about trying to combine those two into one set of standards. But then the more we looked at them, we were like, let's just adopt them separately. And if they overlap, they overlap. And that's not a bad thing. It's not, I mean, you have overlapping standards in science and math. You have overlapping standards in other places. It's not that big of an issue. And, you know, smarter people than us have gone through and wordsmithed them. There's no sense us going through and trying to wordsmith something more. from a human resources standpoint, they target different human beings at school. So, I mean, not that that your classroom teachers want to walk away from the AASL standards, but ultimately, the librarians are held to that standard. Right. Um, ultimately, the classroom teachers should be aware of those, but they yeah. should focus on the nets. Right. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the approach that we're taking. Um, Some librarian but, probably will string me up for that. <laughs> but that's all right. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first librarian to string me up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, you know, as far as is measuring it, what what I have found that works in trying to get a school to shift is having an administrator at the top that understands it and that 
is wrapping their head around the changes that need to happen because we do live in a connected world. That's, that is very much key. Once you have that person in place, this grassroots movement by bringing in, and I think there, it's so important to have educational technology people in our schools that you can't yes. have IT people who are pulled in two different directions because the IT part wins because without the internet actually working, there's no reason to have an educate, you know, without the computers working, there's no reason to have an educational technology person. But once you have that in place that you can build that grassroots movement that I think Shanghai is at a place where there are enough teachers here that when they go one-to-one, the support will be there. And those mm-hmm. teachers that, those teachers that don't buy in are going to be supported by the teachers around them that do. And so you hit, I think you hit a mass where, like Andy said, you either have to do it or you're going to lose a lot of good teachers. And I think you, I think you do. I think you, well, run, I, that, you run that risk. Yeah, that if you don't go one-to-one, you've built up this momentum of we expect you to be using technology. We want to see you using technology. You get teachers using technology, and all of a sudden teachers want to use it more, and they don't have access to it. And then they don't feel supported in it. And then they go find another school or you lose them forever and you never get them back. Like you, you build the momentum, but if you don't jump when the momentum's there, you lose it and you'll never get it back. Yeah, again. it's the old Ian Jukes, you know, uh, sardine rule, yeah. right? You know, 20% of the year faculty right. need to be swimming in one direction. And, and I, you know, I, although I don't subscribe to the 20% rule, I, I think that uh, um, it can apply in this case quite well. Uh, How much of your staff now do you think is probably there? It depends on the division. Um, You know, in in one particular division I'm thinking of, there's only one teacher who's not blogging. One. Now, how you know, I don't know how that particular individual feels being kind of the sole person in the entire organization that doesn't blog and use blog as a blog as a tool for not only communication but also learning. But uh, you know, that's that's pretty huge. Yeah, if if you look at if you look at that, you know. We're, we counted up the other day. We have 3,000 active student blogs currently at SAS. Uh-huh. Um, we have over, I think, over 600 teacher blogs that are active right now. Many teachers have multiple blogs that are using, especially high school and middle school teachers, using multiple blogs to use as their instructional and communication tools. You know, we're at the point now where our parents are saying, no more information. <laughs> Yeah, David, you're laughing. It's, it's <laughs> actually a problem. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's. I, I mean, we would have never. A good problem to we've have. never envisioned. You know, two and a half, three years ago, yeah. that our parents would ever be saying, "I'm sorry, but there's just too much information. We just can't comprehend it all." Yeah, you don't get that from parents much. No, no, and, and uh, when they complain that much, and they're complaining a lot now about having too much information, you got to laugh. Right. You, you really do. You got to laugh a little bit about it, but yes. now we're at the point of refinement and direction. And well, and I think it's also teaching them how to use the information. Like I know Amanda's it's, and you have Jeff, both held. That's not going to happen. I'm going to tell you right now. It's not going to happen. <laughs> you cannot educate a parent community in that level of complexity. You have complexity to, being an RSS feed. Uh, yes, absolutely. I, I no, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying. Although I think that parents do struggle with RSS right now in China because yeah. of a variety of issues. But what parents really struggle with is the org chart, if you will. If there's no clear organizational way a, a school delivers information, right? They get confused. And at SAS, if I were to be very critical of us. We haven't been oblique about the way we have a uh, our 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 um, communication methods. Yeah, we don't say, okay, this is us opened up wide as we can be. How are we going to do that? Yeah. So what do we do? Do we close it back down and start all over again? No. We start from the top. Yeah. This is the SAS master webpage. From here, you can go to the principal's page. In the principal's pages, we can go now to the various sundry de- uh, department pages. From yeah. the department pages, you can go to their teacher pages. So you think you think our parent community still needs that outline? <laughs> oh, God, yes. But that's not yeah, the yeah, web. Yeah, yeah. That's not the web today. Yeah. So the kids understand that. It's a generational thing. The kids understand that completely. 
But that's so it's a generational thing, right? Yeah, that's yeah. that's part of the digital divide. Yeah. Is that the web is messy? The web comes in many forms, many ways. That if you understand how to search and how to search through that information, you could probably find what you want. But what I'm hearing you say is that parents want a way to say, "Here's the main website. Here's the of course. Here's the newsletter that comes out once a week. What do you? It's Parent Talk, yeah, right? Yeah, here's yeah, Parent yeah. Talk that comes out, and this is the official news. Oh. From there, you get down to kind of the principal level. From the yeah. principal level, you can go to the student, or from the teacher level, teacher level, you can go yeah. down to the student level. Yeah, I mean, I mean, David, what do you think the average age of the parents of your middle school and high school students is right now? 45. David, are you there? Yeah, I I think late 30s, early 40s. Early 40s. Okay. So, have they how much web experience has have they been exposed to in their lifetime at well, this point? 10 years. Well, what was it? Yes. 89, so 20 years. Yeah. So half their life. So half their life. And how much how how comfortable are your parents with RSS feeds? Now, I guess, see, that's the difference for y'all at a, uh, true international schools, well, <clears throat> that you have, well, yeah, boy, i got to pull that back. It's interesting, here in Taiwan, in the international schools, they're really mostly Taiwanese, mm-hmm. where it's not your expatriate traveling the world. Uh, well, gosh, I guess they, you know, they're traveling back and forth from China. But it, it is a, a bit of a barrier of parents having that savvy to handle it. But I, I'm a, a, a believer in doing everything one can to help educate them. And then when it's really a need, like when you want to know what, especially with elementary and middle school children, what your children child is doing in class, what she's missing in class. And if you can have access to that, that need drives you to learn more about it. That's for sure. This is what I've come to believe in the last several months. Okay. The only way that you're going to get parents to read RSS feeds is to stream it to their Facebook page. Fair enough. But still, but okay, so you meet the audience where the audience is. Yep. It's a fantastic way to have that's that's a that's another reason why every school should have a Facebook page. Or have a Twitter account that you can then grab the RSS feed and pull that into the school's Facebook page, but and you so know, you're streaming information through one spot. And, and here's where my tech, technical expertise falls a little bit, but how many RSS feeds can you feed into a Facebook page? Only one at the moment. Okay, here's the problem. Because if you have a middle school child at our school... And you have three, and they have each one they has have a blog. A, yeah. You know, humanities, math, science. Okay, that's three right there. Spanish or French or Chinese, that's four. PE, five. Art is six. So they have Music a blog is for, seven. Each, for each. Yes. 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 Kids, kids have seven blogs. No. No. The teachers. Oh, do. teachers. Okay. So you're talking teacher. And then the Whoa. student. That's eight. Mm. Yeah. And some students have more than one blog. That may be nine or ten. Yeah. Well. And uh, again, parents get overwhelmed, and this is where we're here. And then the principal has a blog. Eleven. The vice principal may throw up some stuff up there. There's a school feed. The educational uh, programs office has, has a feed. feed. You know, pretty soon, if you start adding it all up, you're up to the number 15, 16, 17 But do, do parents need all those, though? Well... Or do you teach parents, uh, do you teach parents do. to find their stream among the chaos, right? Uh, that's but, but ultimately, every one of those pieces of their kid, that's all key components of their kid's experience. That's, 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 you know, if you're a middle school parent, you know, well, you can't deny the core, and you can't deny the encore, and then there's curriculum development, that's pretty important, and then the weekly school-wide information, that's important. Mm. Okay, wow. Yep, we, that's a lot of info. You know, and, and again, the parents are saying to us, first, we want more information. We should right. have known about that. We should have known about that. We should have known about that. And then, <laughs> but we said, well, we did. We told you. In fact, here it is. Yeah. Well, that's way too much information. We can't find it out there amongst all that information. Okay, wait a minute. Where, you know, where's the balance? Yeah, what's the balance? And, you know, going back to the key question here is, you know, how do you measure if you're a shifted school or not? If we're bearing a parent in information, if we're bearing the school information, maybe that's the measure. That's a biggie. 
And then how do we scale it back and direct the information in the right direction? This is the key complaint we have heard in our one-to-one implementation. That's fantastic, though. <laughs> I love that. It's a complaint. Yeah, and, and what here, a complaint to have, though. Yeah, yeah right. In fact, many parents have said to us, you didn't tell us you were going to do one-to-one. And we went, yes, we did. We've been talking about this for two, <laughs> for years, two years now. And yeah. here is all the information you ever wanted to know about the one-to-one system that started out in August 2008. Yeah. So, well, you know, what do you want to do here, folks? Um, and our kids, by the way, if we would tell them, you know, this is just how you cluster your RSS feeds and everything, they'd, they'd shrug their shoulders and go, okay, no okay, problem. Okay, no problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah no problem. Yeah. But the parents get overwhelmed by it very quickly. And I'm a parent. I only have a kindergartner. I understand where they're coming from because I can't keep up with all the stuff that's coming out of my own school. And I work inside of it. I think that's awesome, though. I think it's also well, in schools with that transparent. And and we ninety nine percent of our our uh, listeners once they download this are going to be their jaws are going to be on the floor just going oh my gosh because <laughs> that's the kind of feedback I get in emails and people commenting just the things that are happening sp- specifically internationally to Asia it's pretty incredible uh, but what a problem to have so Andy when you figure that totally out we'll have a whole show <laughs> and you tell us. <laughs> Okay, you get it figured. There'll be a charge of about five thousand dollars an hour, and um, and you'll be I'll be calling in from my mansion somewhere in a tropical location with clean air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's the yeah. There you go, buddy. Well, Andy, let me ask you a question because we had you on last June when we were talking about the whole process of change and. We really got down to that point of the change isn't the most difficult part. It's all the transition after afterwards. And here, you've been shifting along. And, um, you, and a few minutes ago, you were talking about maybe some teachers that aren't shifting. Where does the – how do you handle the accountability that um, you, you, you're seeing the students perform and, and prepare these projects that are exemplifying the different nets and the, uh, the different – types of concept-based learning that I know you all are, are working to do. How do you work with your teachers uh, as an administrator, the ones that are looking around going, wow, I'm in the minority now in the sense that I'm not shifting, and they're, and they're struggling a bit. How, how do you work with teachers like that to, to help the shift continue, I guess? To be really honest, yeah, we ignore them. Mm. Mm-hmm. You wrote a blog post about that. It's one of my favorite blog posts that you wrote. Where it was something about get on the bus or get out of the way or something. What was yeah, the name? Yeah, of it? I have no What's idea. The, I forget the title, <laughs> but it was basically that's what it was. Like, look, the bus is leaving. Either get on it. This is the direction the school has chosen yeah. to go. Either get on the bus or get out of our way. Like that's. Yeah. And but I think that is so important for an administrator to take that stance, and not just on technology. Like for an administrator to say, this is the vision of the school. The school believes in this vision and this mission. And either you believe in this mission or vision, or get out of our way, this school isn't a fit for you. One of my favorite activities that I've uh, done with my colleagues over the last uh, couple years is play a board game that's uh, team against team called the change game. Have you ever played that game, David? No, no. Okay, well, it's, 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 it's pretty complex. But ultimately, you're given a school... And somebody's gone through and applied the research to uh, uh, this game, and you're you know you have to kind of move this entire organization from the superintendent all the way down to the you know, library assistant through a change process, and mm. um, uh, the the lesson after it's all said and done, if you're successful, is. Ignore the naysayers and the the non-change members of your organization, and just plow forward. Mm. If you, if you have if you have the you know the 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 impetus for change, and you have the majority, and it's not even you know it's not a over fifty percent level, but a, you know a, a set of people who can move change forward, you move it forward. You can make change happen, but. Sometimes you got to take the you know the old you know damn the torpedoes full steam ahead approach, 
Uh, sometimes you got to be the diplomat and be very careful about your words. And sometimes you've got to be even worse than that, and you've got to be the bull in the china closet and just crash things and break things up. Depending mm-hmm. on the issue and the instance and the context, you have to be careful about which way you choose. But you can do it. Hmm. You really can do it. And, well, it's, and, yeah, it's because and I, it's I've done the all three, ultimately. Yeah. you just got to choose the one that makes sense at the time. Yes. Hmm. I have nothing to say. <laughs> you, you know, here's, I'm speechless. That's that's a rarity. Here, here, here's <laughs> one for you. Here, here's a here's an interesting uh, uh, concept that I've been dealing with uh, as of late, and you know we've been we've been getting a lot of pushback from some of our community members around uh, the specific measurement of our vision statement at our school, and in particular, what the one around technology is. It's we, the fourth bullet point. The fourth bullet point. We will use technology in authentic and... Uh, and uh, I live on that fourth bullet point while uh, I was here. Authentic ways. It's what is it? Innovative, Innovative and authentic, authentic ways, ways of use of technology. technology. Yes. And uh, my superintendent just did a presentation on Tuesday night around... Um, uh, the deliver the you know the current state of affairs of our vision at SAS and and it's it's now I would say in its fifties and sixties it's 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 late middle aged as far as our vision statement goes right. and kind of getting toward the point where it's being elderly if you were to assign an age to a vision statement and mm. uh, um, one of the parents stood up and asked the question you know how do you know that you're really meeting the vision. How do you know you're going to be there when you get there? And, yeah. you know, it, that struck me at that time. It's like, you know what? This isn't about test scores. This isn't about numbers on a chart. This is about anecdotally over and over again providing a case. You're, 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 you're right. a lawyer in a courtroom. It's a case study, yeah. And you're, you're providing a case, a, a, a case of information across the board for your community around guilty or innocent is your school pulling yeah. it off yeah is it is it really doing it and i could sense in the room at that time with that answer that my superintendent provided me and all of us he he said well i provided you with a case ultimately today around what we did this year to meet the vision points and if you look over the past four years, we could provide you anecdotal information right. long-term about what we've done. But in the end, it's really about the, the qualitative uh, points that, that it uh, you know has. And I, I don't know. There, there are the bean counters out there who don't think that's okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And, and I don't know. I mean, David, you work in a similar uh, community as mine. I mean, do you get that same sense? That, that what you're saying makes sense. It's it's very similar, and that brings us back to that point of how far we can go to educate parents and and bring them over to the the culture of the kind of school that one is building or has built. And it it, it is a bit difficult when you when you're dealing with that very concrete kind of thinking when we're talking about skills and concepts which so often aren't going to fit in in any type of test scores or anything like that. We know that's one of the big problems with a lot of the standardized testing. You know, one thing I, I would say, I, I really like that term. What is the age to your mission vision? I like that. That was good. So I like that because Jeff Jeff's brought up a couple times and I know when you were with John, uh, John Micton at one of your uh, conferences, challenging schools to go in and really look at their mission and their vision. And in a lot of cases, it's very, very old chronologically, just maybe eight years. But as you were saying, Andy, it might be 60 or 70 years old in thinking and really so far behind the times. I think this is worth a good blog post. Uh, from one of you guys, I, that that says a lot because I, I think what we started this show off with was Andy. You were, you were reminding us it's it's where you're headed. What is the student learning about? And in this case, is this case incorporating the nets into your your other outcomes? Well, 
you're supposed to be following your your vision, and if your vision is is over the hill, you got to go back. And but part of that is what you're just saying. You've got to work with your parents and bring them on board, and that's a slow process. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I I've been doing a lot of study around school mission and visions and core value statements over the last couple of weeks in some of my personal work and. Uh, I, I, I talked at, at one uh, school recently about uh, where that particular organization stood as far as the growth of their vision statement, where it was headed, and ultimately the, you know, the end point. Because most schools will prescribe a year by... By 2012. In, in SAS, we say 2012. Even if they don't write it down. Right. There's a. There's they, they, will, they will there's say, a, yeah. and, and you know the the action plans will be written around that, and in the end, it has to be done. Right. Right. And uh, you know, a board has to hold its administration accountable to a date, at some point. And my, you know, my uh, point in 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 my conversation with those schools was, look. You have to understand that a school may hit or not hit a certain portion of their vision statements uh, within the prescribed period of time. Just because they don't reach what you would feel would be optimal operational levels at those particular vision points, that's okay. Because then that allows you some area for growth and some fodder for conversation as you build on the next vision statement. Right. If you don't have that, then you end up like Utica a minute ago, totally speechless. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> I was like, well, how am I going to, what do I say to that? Because, gosh, you know, what a boring place this would be, and ultimately, what kind of school would we have if we didn't have anything to talk about, and where would we be if we didn't have anything to shoot for? Yes. Um, you, you know, there's nothing wrong with setting high standards in certain areas, and there, there's nothing wrong with pushing the envelope a little bit around uh, the development of uh, a high learning standard for your organization. And that's what a vision's supposed to be, though, right? Like a vision is yes. supposed to be that we we hold ourselves to this to this kind of standard, and this is the vision we have for our school. Yes, but. We're a bunch of goal-driven individuals who will kill ourselves, kill ourselves to reach our goal. Is that just a trait of teachers? I, I'm not saying that. I'm not <laughs> I'm saying just, that. I, well, I'm not saying, maybe, maybe. I'm not saying that. But across the board, I know most of the people I work with, if you say you got to be at point ten by this particular date, if they're at point eight and there's three days to go... They will kill themselves to get to point ten. Well, it, you know, and I think I do think that's a trait of teachers, though, is that we expect ourselves to be somewhat. We expect ourselves to be a students, and I see that just in the in the graduate course that I'm running at ISB. That students want to get an A, and they're all teachers. But teachers want to know what they have to do. It's not what do I need to do to pass. Right, because it's a graduate course, and they yeah. could just do enough. A B means nothing. It's a graduate course, right? It just they just want the credit, but they want to know what they need to do to get an A. Like they're driven to be that perfection. So I wonder, is it is it something in us as teachers? Is that a teacher trait? It's know. a pass fail situation, though, at a school level. Ultimately, that's the way people see it. They see it as pass fail, but they see pass fail as either being did ten we? out of ten or we failed. Did we? <laughs> did we or didn't we? And 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 the parents, this particular parent, when they asked the question, was, "How do you measure it? Did you measure it eighty percent, ninety percent, a hundred percent?" The bean counters want to know the buyback yes. for the amount of amount of resources, resources you expended, yeah. and. You know, when you're in my level, you have people asking you, okay, if you're going to establish a KPI, a key performance indicator around this particular initiative, what are the what are the indicators that you're going to look for to show that you're accomplishing this particular goal? Mm. 
classroom teachers and educators don't think that way. No. Yeah. And, you know, I've had to kind of shift my thinking, if you will, to, okay, what are the indicators that will show us that this is going to happen and this is will happen? And, you know, I, and, and I, I've, I've caught myself going through classrooms, going through blog posts, you know, talking with classroom teachers and integrationists and principals and saying, okay, how many teachers in your classrooms are blogging right now? And in your opinion, are using it as an educational tool? I want to know the numbers. Let's go down through your list. Oh, okay. Pudong Middle School and Pushi Middle School. You've got such and such number. I'm not going to give the number because I, I have it in my head. I won't tell you. It's a lot, though. Way over 20%. Way over 40%. Way over 50%. If I'm a imp- one-to-one implementer and I'm going to move into a school, SAS is... You know, it's it, there. It's a, if it's an apple on a tree, you can pick it off, and it's good right there. Okay, so uh, but again, that KPI has to be established for the bean counters out there. And if you want to measure the shifted school, let's look at the KPI. Let's mm. establish our own KPIs. Mm-hmm. Each school individually. Individually, you have to. Yeah. There can't be a standard. I um, we went just went, went through um, um, accreditation this year, and one of our key um, outcomes for our accreditation was to establish a set of key metrics which we could report out to our community. And and you know I I I went through the whole process of talking with our community over and over again about what those key metrics were. You know how many then they can I. I if I were to walk in front of a, par- a group of parents and, com- and teachers and community members and say, okay, so what are the metrics we're going to use to measure our progress in our school? Guess how many of them would be able to tell me what they are? None. M- maybe one. Yeah. Maybe two. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and these are people that have to be pretty well embedded in the process. Some days I can't list them out loud. I have to get my piece of paper out. Okay, ITBS, it's a key performance indicator. ERBs, key performance indicator. SAT scores? SATs, IBs, AP. Okay, those are easy. Yeah. How about the number of parents attending parent conferences? The number of blog posts? I, I mean, I have a whole set of them, but they haven't been standardized because we're afraid to do so. Mm. You know Why? Number one, the target's moving. Number two, the measurement tool is moving. We can't use, we can't, we're not going to be using the same tool this year as next year, except for, guess what? The old standardized test, yeah. which we all <laughs> want to like whack ourselves in the head every start, time we start talking about it. Because huh. uh, your tool keeps changing. Right. Okay, I could, in elementary school, we could talk about uh, Dibble scores, DRA scores, number of students who are, uh, you know, exhibited a certain level of fluency but in tech what the heck are you going to talk about that's going to be consistent now at the same time it's going to be consistent in five years you can't do that because the tool tool changes of course you can't the way we're using the technology changes this is such a complex issue around measurement at the tech level that the mere mention of the idea should be just slid off the table right into the lap of the person who wants to deal with it and say, you know what, you go in the other room and you deal with it because it can't be done. I like that. It cannot be done. That's recorded, by the way. We have Andy Torres on record for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and and uh, the, the academics out there yeah. who are trying to measure this will concur with me, I believe, um, because every time they start on a study... Their timeline around that particular study has to be in such a short timeline that they, if they don't complete it within that period of time, the assessment tool will fall off the table yeah, and into the trash because that's what it's worth. But isn't that cool? I mean, that's part of just where we live now. I mean, that's part of society today. So we're just moving so fast. Information, the tools, the technology is moving at a rate that just cannot be measured. Right? That's what you're saying. Like, we are moving at a rate right now that cannot be measured. We know that. David, so, do you not agree? 
That's that. This is such so much takeaways you're giving us here and in, in our listeners. This is excellent. But that 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 says so much with the KPI that the discussions that go around those with your parents who are on the different committees. That's part of your education process as well, and and then trying to come up with those concrete, measurable ones just so you know that bean counter down the road. You can just say, okay, check off, we've done that. But then to bring out the voices of your parents that are picking up on, the, 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 as I always say, the concept learning that's going on, the cross-curricular learning that's going on that's much less measurable and tangible. But we need to bring their voices out so that the bean counters hear them as well. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, you know, here's another thought that you know, we can kind of explore if you like, and that is that um, there are certain schools in this world who will never change unless they have long-term anecdotal and uh, quantitative information uh, to apply to a classroom setting. In fact, it's ultimately an excuse for change. Hmm. Will What will be their fate? What will happen to them in the long run? They will, will come to school one day and no kids will be there. Well, you know, maybe. <laughs> but you know what? There's lots and lots of examples. And you may have experienced this a little bit in your, your uh, little trip to Europe a few uh, yeah. weeks ago. There are schools who rest on their laurels, and they will yes. rest on their laurels Absolutely. for 50, 60, 70, yeah. 80 years yeah. and be perfectly successful and will continue in, to enroll kids and rake in the money and live off their endowments and continue to be successful for a long, long time. And Asia, being a relatively young uh, educational experience for you know, Western-style education anyway... Um, is just getting to that point. So, so you, know, you think we have a better chance here in Asia, being younger, being like like if you were to use the age analogy again, being a younger to Western and, and open systems to change. I mean, you look at China, you look at Taiwan, you look at what's happening in Bangkok and how those cities have changed in recent years. How China has opened up. How China is trying to embrace or is embracing more of a world economy statute. That that allows them to change at a quicker pace, or they, you know, it's it. Do I choose the high road or the low road? And you know, whichever road they choose is going to be the one that they're going to go down. And it, I think there is a level of conservatism within the Asian community to stay the course, to no, go with what we know, to not change, but ultimately to just. Continue with what we're doing because that's what has worked in the past. So is this an advantage? Would you say that that would be an advantage then of, say, an American, of, let's say America, who right now is in a financial crisis and is, who, and is in the process of having to rethink a lot of things in the midst of this financial crisis? Is this an opportunity then in America to think differently and be that leader while you have somebody here like China who might be saying, you know what, this worked for us. This has worked for us in the last 10 years to get into the world economy. This has worked for us. Why do we need to change? Why do we need to, to move? When a place like America all of a sudden is thrown back with the financial crisis and is having to reevaluate the way they do things, is this truly an opportunity for them to, to change? And it's interesting because I've had this conversation with, with my wife, and we talked about the last time you know, the last time that education really had to change, and she's a school counselor, so she's coming from it from that perspective, but that the last time education really had to change is when Russia launched Sputnik. And when Sputnik was launched, there was all of a sudden a huge focus again on education, on math, science, and counseling, because she's a counselor. But there was a huge focus, and all of a sudden it was, how are we going to get kids into the maths? How are we going to get kids into the science? And there was this huge focus again on how, what is education and how do we need to be educating kids? Do we need an event like that to happen? And is this financial crisis, this global crisis that we're now in, is that an opportunity to go back and say, what are the skills our kids need and how do we change our educational institution to teach those skills? And are we in a place in American society or American systems, which... Shanghai American School is an American educational system. ISB is an international American system. Is 
are we are we at a point where we are saying this is the way education needs to look in the future, or are we going to sit on our haunches and allow it to happen to us? Look, it, 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 it's as simple as this: leadership, resources, innovation, and a tolerance for risk. Yes, I agree. If so, you don't have all of those, then what? Nothing's going to happen. And what happens to you as an organization? What happens to you as a school? Uh, you stagnate. It's not, no, you it's not, not, not that you're delivering a bad uh, model. Or but you're not going to move. But you're not going to move. And over time, you will drift away and into the woodwork. A tolerance for risk. I like that one. Uh, hey, look. If, if, you, if, you, if you cannot convince your community, and it's all facets, students, teachers, parents... Administrators, yeah. everybody, if you cannot convince those the people in your organization that if a mistake is made, it's not the end of the world. If you cannot convince those people, it will not happen. But if you do not have the money and the human resources in place, it will not happen. If you do not have the leadership in place to evaluate and communicate the processes in which change must happen, it will not happen. That simple, yeah. but it's that complex yeah. all at the same time. Yeah, that's wise words. I like that. Wise words. And it, and you know, schools around this area are looking for leaders who are willing to lead into that morass, and it is a morass. And parents are out there looking for people to help them understand the morass as best they can. The problem is, and I, I see this as a significant issue, right now when the finances are coming down on top of us, and right. it's a significant downturn in this region especially, and in some countries more than others, some people's gut level reaction to it is, Turn back hide to all my know. money, yep. stay, in, stay close to home, don't do anything different, wait for everybody else to met, figure it out, and then I'll jump. The smart people, by the way, are hiding all their money and innovating inside and are ready to jump at three steps ahead at all those people who are being stupid and not doing anything else. Yes. And it's a stupid move to not innovate. You're going to die. You're going to die in the vine. The whole, eight, the whole region will die in the vine. Well, and, I, and, and, and the United States will they, if, the, if they're doing the right thing. And I'm not back there, so I don't know what's going on. Yeah. But as far as the technology and the resources the companies are building out there and the corps are building out there, if they're really innovating, they're going to take over the world, back but, over the world. And, and I think that's, I mean, to me, that's what excites me about this financial crisis. Not that it's a, not that it's a happy time, but what excites me is that in times of light, in times of need is when you become, I think, the most innovative. Like when you yes. have to make a living for yourself, you figure out a way to make a living for yourself. When you need to put a roof over your head, you find a way to do it. You become more innovative. You know, one of the things that's really interesting to look at is that the whole Web 2.0 movement came out of the tech bubble. Yep. Because all of a sudden you had all of these computer engineers who were out of a job, right? They went to these startups and there was the whole bubble and it crashed and they started innovating. And by the time the money came back in, in about, say, 2004, Web 2.0 took off because you had all this innovation that was hiding underneath, waiting for the money to come back into technology. And what has come out of that? I mean, Google Google came out of that, came right out yep. of the middle of that. You know, Amazon came through it, Yahoo came through it. But you've had things like Twitter, and you've had things like Facebook, and you've had things um, like Blogster and blogs and wikis and all of that stuff was in it. I truly believe was innovated during that downtime. YouTube, YouTube, Flickr. all of that stuff came yeah, out yeah. of that. Because here you had people that were in an innovative state, innovating, like you said, within themselves or within behind the scenes. And as soon as the money was there again to support them, were able to explode on the scene as a leader and leave everybody else behind. Sure. And what did Microsoft do? I think that's a perfect example, right? Microsoft really didn't do any innovation, and now they are struggling to catch up. Right? They did not release an operating system for what, what's XP's been out for like 10 years now. There was no innovation... In what they did, and by the time they tried to 
put out Vista. Does Vista count? Well, I don't know if Vista counts, but you know, I, I think. But I think you can bring that back to that. That th- there is an innovation piece there that I, I think you have to. By the way, I'm not against Vista. I think it's a lovely operating. System. I hate Vista. I'll say it. <laughs> Having never used it, it looks really nice. Yeah, it looks really pretty. It looks pretty. <laughs> yeah, it looks pretty. It looks pretty. I don't know. Um, what do you think, David? Time to wrap this one up. Yeah, let's do let's do uh, blog post of the week, and then if you can just give us uh, a quick. Maybe what you what you guys and gal are thinking about for the Learning 2.0 conference. As long as you're there, that's why you're there, right? You're going to talk about the conference. Yeah, that's why I'm here. That that meeting's tomorrow. Oh, okay, um, so we'll hold off. Yeah, and it's Maybe. closed door meeting from eight till twelve. Closed door meeting. I'll probably be on Twitter and tweeting everything that's coming out of the conference, of course, because that's who I am. Um, All right, but we're starting. Right, we'll to plan. save that. Yeah, it's Learning 2.10, so it'll be the September of 2010. Um, okay. And dates will probably be released tomorrow during the meeting and so on and so forth. So we're just excited to kind of think about, again, we try to be innovative with this conference. And what does it mean to hold a conference in the 21st century? And how do we continue to push what this conference has been? Like we were the first conference to use Twitter. We were the first conference to use Ning and build a social network um, mm-hmm. kind of around a conference. And we're really excited about that. But what's the next thing and how do we push it forward from here? So that's really what this meeting tomorrow um, all day about is what does this look like in 2010 and as we start pl- as we start planning that out so so yeah Thanks. that's why I'm here in Shanghai meanwhile having a having a night with our good friends Andy and Amanda I, I thought you were here for the golf tournament I was here for the golf tournament the Shanghai American <laughs> School golf tournament on Saturday so I, I'm just a lucky one. coincidence yeah. that's all but uh, my blog post for the week is one I twittered out earlier and this is an interesting one it's actually coming out of uh, it's a news article written by the BBC called um, Just How Bad Is Facebook For You, which takes a look at, um, there was a research study that came out a while ago talking about Facebook, and it compared graduate students who were on Facebook and those who were not on Facebook. David, did you ever read that about how it had to deal with grades? Yes. Yeah, and kids who were on Facebook actually got less grades, and kids that were in social networks, their grades were less. Anyways, this is a really good article that looks at... Um, kind of that research and looks at the whole defunking of social networking. And he really goes into kind of what this, what, um, what the author of that study had to say and where that research is coming from. And, you know, it was only, I think it was only 200 and 200 and some odd students were in the study. And so what does that all mean? But it's a really good, it's a really good article and I'll, I'll give you the link, but it's a really good article about, um, just social networking and social media in general and, and how it is affecting students in education. So I'll send that along. Excellent, Andy? excellent. Uh, I just had to look it up. I, I read this today. I actually shared this blog post with my superintendent and my curriculum coordinator. It's a Will Richardson blog post around a uh, the topic, Wanted School Chief Learning Officer. And um, it's rich with resources as well as some key questions. And I I think that from my point of view, working as a, and I hate to use this word, but I will, central office administrator, <laughs> um, uh, it really hits home. I, I love the barometer points. Does your school point welcome innovation and contributors from its teachers? Point two, encourage and provide time for reflection on successes and flops. Point three, tolerate mistakes and reward thinking out of the box. Point four, share information openly. Point five, foster learning for everyone. Point six, experiment with new ways of doing things. And finally, work across departments and unit boundaries with ease. And he uh, points in this blog post to a survey that was done from an organization or a magazine called CLOs Together Learn. Uh, you got you to go to this blog post. And Will, if you're listening, fabulous blog post. Great, great, great um, um, access points that uh, I think everyone in an organization can learn from. That's uh, http. Web w e b l o g g dash e d dot com and um, fabulous, fabulous, fabulous web post. 
Um, and I've, I pulled several other pieces of information off this, including some some books on um, administrators blogging and uh, communication in schools. I, 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 I'm going to use this particular blog post for several of my blog posts coming up. And again, Will, nice job. Great summary on a, a variety of points that, uh, that school leaders can use. Cool. Wow. That one does sound excellent, excellent. I haven't read that one yet. I was on a plane today. I've got an excuse. <laughs> How about you, David? What do you have for a blog post? Uh, well, it was interesting. Just a couple of weeks ago, a, a teacher who's going to be recruiting next year uh, who listens to the podcast asked, uh, said, David, where are the shifted schools out there? And I said, well, it turns out that uh, Dr. Scott McLeod has put together a wiki um, for exemplary 21st century schools um, that he's invited folks to go into and list their schools. Um, and it's at a site, movingforward.wikispaces.com. So I will put that in the show notes. But it's, I think that's, that's something that came up in one of our other podcasts of where are these schools and, and, and how do you find out where they are, especially international educators. We're always on the prowl. Looking for that, it is, as Jeff, you pointed out, if, if you're a shifted teacher and your school isn't moving, you're probably going to be looking elsewhere. I agree. You know, David, I, I, a couple other I, I, I am compelled to point out, and it's really not really about me, but about marital bliss. First of all, I need to point out to uh, SomeTechSense.com and my lovely wife, Amanda Ducardi. Now you're just name-dropping. Who, who does amazing <laughs> things, and she's got some great stuff. But the latest blog that I've been reading a lot, and the one that I think really strikes my fancy, is a blog post titled, Whenever, Wherever, and Whomever, from The Thinking Chick. And uh, so I, I think Jeff will post that web link on, uh, on, on the blog. And, you know... I don't know. I laugh. I cry. I read this blog post. I think she's amazing. <laughs> that is, that's my wife, by the way. The thinking chick. She's married to the thinking stick. So uh-huh, it's all good. Uh-huh. I've heard of this person. Yeah, yeah, you've heard of this person. Well, yeah. if you want to follow her, she's on Twitter. No. Yeah, she's on Twitter, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so thinking, thinking chick on Twitter, right? She's looking for more followers. Yeah. Right? She's Oh. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, this one's going down the rat hole really fast, so we need to get out of here before this gets any worse. David, thank you as always. Uh, great it's conversation. A, it's been a pleasure, David, and I owe you a file. I'll send it to you probably tomorrow morning. That'd be great. Thanks a bunch. And just to let the uh, listeners know, May 21st, our guests will be Christian Blessing from ISKL. And our essential question will be how to do a tech makeover on the cheap. Ooh, I like so it. So that's what we're going to look into. That'll be good. All right. Thanks, David. Thank you, Andy. Again, for a great conversation, great stuff for administrators and for schools looking to shift. Um, Until next time, keep shifting those schools. 